So it is definitely a new year. I saw somebody post on, on social media, and they said, are we really sure we want a new year? How about we go for a certified pre-owned? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, this morning, we are going to take a quick break uh, from the book of Hebrews. Uh, I want to minister on something that God's been uh, kind of speaking to me over the past month or so, and something that I want to make a focus uh, for this year. And, and the focus that I want to make for this year is discipleship. The truth be told, um, I used to be much better at discipling people. But over the last few years, um, I, I'm uh, a little ashamed to admit that I've probably let it fall a little more to the wayside than I should have. Not that it's been completely forgotten, but definitely hasn't been the focus of where it should have been. And the truth is, is the last couple of years have kind of knocked everybody's focus around, I think. But the reality is, is that I, I think that was a mistake. I don't think I know that was a mistake. Discipleship is so important. The word disciple used in the New Testament means to be a pupil or a student in contrast to the master. And in all cases, it implies that a person not only accepts the views of the teacher, but that he also in, is in practice an adherent of those. See, he also is doing those very things that he says that he believes. And the reality is that each and every one of us should be a disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, the, 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 we're not supposed to just be converts. And there's a lot of discipleship. And one of the things that I really want to focus on this year is, is each and us and every one of us investing into somebody else, discipling somebody else. The reality is, is that, that we are all disciples of Jesus Christ, but the way that we grow and that we learn is through other people investing into us. And we need to make sure that we're doing that. And as a disciple, we have to understand what that actually means as well. You, you, you won't be shocked that disciple uh, is, is related to the word discipline. To be a disciple, you have to be disciplined. Who, who, who here likes to be disciplined? Some areas of my life I'm pretty disciplined. Some areas I struggle a lot to be disciplined. But the reality is, is that, that as disciples, we need to be disciplined. And we, we need to continue in and improve in those areas designated to us by the one we're being a disciple of. And that means that when Jesus says we should do something, we need to make sure that we're doing it. We're to be disciples of Jesus. But we also need to make sure that we're being made available to be trained by others as well. We're a small church, but the reality is, is that we have a lot of smart people. We have a lot of people that have been Christians for a long time. They have a lot to give, a lot to, to learn from. So being a disciple of Jesus is also to be trained by others, pastors and teachers and other leaders in the church. And there's a flip side to this as well. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're also not only to be disciple, to train, to learn, to be disciplined, but we're also to make disciples as well. Now, I want you to notice that when you read that verse, it didn't start off with, Pastors, go therefore and make disciples. It didn't say evangelists, go therefore and make disciples. 
He says, you go and make disciples. That's each and every one of us. That means that we have a responsibility to be with other people. That means we have to spend time together. And it doesn't even always have to be formal. We can invest into one another's lives just by spending time with one another. You know, the truth is, is that if, you're, if you are, are, are looking to learn and to grow into how to be a Christian, if you spend time with somebody that's been a Christian for a while, you're going to pick up a few things just watching them live their lives. So we're not to just be disciples, but we're also to make disciples. And it's so important to recognize that it's not just the pastor's job. It's his job too, don't get me wrong. But it's not just his. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at, at uh, like I've entitled this Discipleship 101, just some of the basics that we want to talk about today. So in Matthew 4, 18 through 22... It says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. And he followed them. The first step to being a disciple is making that decision to follow him. You see, that's the problem is, though, is that so many people get stuck in that position. Matter of fact, as a church, we're very, very good. And I don't mean this church. I mean the church at large. We're very, very good at getting people to say they'll follow him. But that's where they stop. They say they'll follow him. They make a decision. And then they never go any further. You'll notice that in this situation, Jesus didn't say, hey, agree to follow me, and then leave them where they were. They had to get off the boats, leave their, their jobs, their positions. And the truth is, for all of us, we need to remember there's more to being a Christian than going to heaven someday, making that decision to follow and just stay where you're at. The truth is, is that the moment that you call yourself a Christian, you need to be aware that how you live your life actually uh, influences how other people perceive Christianity as well. How we live our lives goes ahead and it, 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 that's why you have so many people that, that are, their excuse for not wanting to do anything with Christianity is because of all the hypocrites. It's because so many people said, I'll follow you, but they stayed on their boat mending nets with their father instead of actually following him. And here's the thing. Sometimes it costs to follow Jesus. And I would say by sometimes, I mean all the times, it costs to follow Jesus. You'll notice that these here, they, they, they left their father. They left their livelihood. And I'm not saying each and every one of you has got to quit your job and start going around preaching to the world. But the reality is, is that there is going to be a cost to following Jesus. Sometimes that means that you have to walk away from things if God tells you to walk away from them, if he has something for you. Jesus didn't just tell the disciples, come in and listen to me on Sundays. He said, no, follow me. 
Don't just come on Sundays and do what you want the rest of the week. But he says, no, follow me. This is not just being a disciple. Being a convert is a decision you make one day and you can just tell people you're a Christian. But being a disciple means to live out what you say you believe in. And that's each and every day of your life, not just some of them. Because the reality is, is that Jesus has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has something that he wants you to do. And if you ever get that done, he'll have something else for you to do as well. Because God has a plan for you. And you have a job to do. So step one of being a disciple is to make the decision to follow him. And then sometimes it means leaving your nets and your father. Amen? The next thing that we, we have to, to worry about as disciples is, is the kind of things that we're letting inside of our brain. 1 Timothy 4, 6-8 says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrines that you have followed, having nothing to do with the relevant silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So if you back up a few verses, you'll see that Paul is, 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 is warning them and pointing out there's going to be people that fall away because they get wrapped up in strange doctrines and strange practices. In this particular case, he's talking about people saying, oh, you can't get married or you can't eat certain food. This is, this is uh, verses 1 through 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So he says here, if you put these things before the brothers, what he's saying is if you teach others to watch out for these, this bad doctrine, the bad practices, the bad things, then you're going to do us. You're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So that's one of the areas. If we want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, we want to be a good disciple, one, we must speak and teach the truth. We need to make sure that, that what we're learning is actually in line with the Scriptures. And we need to make sure that that's what we're teaching as well. The reality is, is that there's a lot of weird stuff out there. The truth is, is I like going on YouTube and listening to other preachers. But if you're going to do that, make sure that you have at least a base knowledge to know when you need to reject some of the things that they're teaching and when what they're teaching is sound. The truth is, is that then most people will have at least some good stuff that they're teaching. But if you don't know the difference, you can get wrapped up in all kinds of craziness. You can get wrapped up in all kinds of lies and deception. And the thing is, is that, that uh, especially if you come in on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about a lot of this stuff, but, but people are really good at making convincing arguments. And you can, you can pick the data that you want or the scriptures that you want and those things, and, and you can make a convincing argument. And if you don't have a solid foundation, you can be led astray. As a disciple, that's part of your responsibility to, one, be careful of what you're letting in your head, and two, have a strong enough foundation that you, that you have the ability to see false teachings and false doctrines and reject them. We need to make sure that we don't fall ourselves into the same traps that Paul was warning about. And this is how we do it. He says, have nothing to do 
with irrelevant, irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. As a disciple, you have to train. You actually have to put some time into it. Now, I wish in many ways that you could slip a Bible under your pillow and lay down and go to sleep and wake up and have the entire knowledge of the Bible osmorphosized into your head. That would be nice. But it doesn't work that way. Do you know it didn't even work that way for Jesus? If you look at what Jesus usually quotes in the Bible, it's almost always from the book of Isaiah. There's some other stuff, but usually it's the book of Isaiah. And some scholars say that in those days... In the smaller cities, in the smaller villages, the place where they would go to worship, they didn't have all the books of the Old you know, they didn't have all the books of the Old Testament. They may have had one or two scrolls of different books. And it's likely that the village Jesus grew up in, one of the main ones they read from was the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Because that's usually what he quotes from. Because Jesus had to read the read the words of God as well to know these things. He didn't just have it either. How do I know this? Because the Bible says that he laid aside his deity. He was a man just like you and me. He had to live just like you and me. The only difference between Jesus when he was a man and and you or I is that he lived without sin. He had to learn. He had to grow. He had to do all of those things. And the same goes for us. We have to spend time as well. We have to train for godliness. And Paul even makes a point here. He says, While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And one thing I always have to remind myself here is it doesn't say bodily training has no value. It has some good value. Some periods of my life, I am experiencing the value more than others. But the reality is, is what's more important is training in in righteousness, is training in godliness. And that means actually spending time in prayer and spending time in your word, making those decisions. And it also means coming together with other believers and learning from one another. Whether that's in something formal, like our Wednesday night Bible studies, or if it's in something, or the Friday night Bible study at, at Jan's house. Are you doing that right now? You're probably not. You are doing it right now. Okay, good. I keep seeing the announcement. I wonder, is she still doing it? So... Good. Well, that's why I haven't taken it down. Of course you're still doing it. Hallelujah. So that's a great time to get together and learn and study the Bible in a former situation. But discipleship is not limited to that. We can get together outside of that too and just live our lives together. And as you see somebody live their life, you can learn from them and, and grow and actually be training in godliness. And Paul is using this idea of exercise to drive home a point. Just like our physical body, if you don't use a muscle, it becomes weak. If you don't work out, if you don't use your muscles, they become weak. Most of us have experienced this. And the same goes in your spiritual life as well. If you don't do those things, you'll become weak in those areas. And the reality is, as a disciple, is one who's disciplined. How many of you know that, that if you're focused on, on getting in shape, you get up in the morning even when you don't want to, to work out? Even when you're tired, even when you're sore, if you want any results, you do, right? Because if you give up every time it's hard, every time it's difficult, then you'll never make any progress. 
The same is true in your spiritual life. Sometimes you're not going to want to get up in the morning and open your Bible. Sometimes you're going to want to do something else, but that's the discipline part of being a disciple is doing that even when maybe you don't want to. There are times when Sunday morning I don't really feel like worshiping. I'm just being honest with you. Can a pastor be honest from time to time? Sometimes I don't feel like wor- Sometimes I don't feel like coming to church. I don't want to see any of you. <laughs> you ever get done with people sometimes? But I come anyway. You know what the great part is? Once you just get there, usually things are great. I love seeing you guys. At home, something goes, like, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to be around people. I just want to stay home and be by myself. But then when I get here, everything changes. I don't know if that's some scheme of the enemy or whatever it is. Same thing with reading my Bible. Sometimes I wake up, I don't want to touch my Bible. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to get into it. And then when I finally start reading, I'm like, no, this wasn't so bad after all. This is actually pretty good. Same prayer, all those things. But it's real easy to have excuses that makes you want to, to, to run away. But the truth is, is if we, if we let those things take hold in our lives, and then, we, then our, our spiritual muscles begin to atrophy. Amen? James 15, 1 through 8, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples." Why do you cut off branches that don't bear fruit? Anybody been involved in that? I guess uh, this is much more understandable years ago when everybody farmed. But yeah, you get rid of the dead stuff so new stuff can grow in. You make room for the new. Because they're dead. You don't keep dead stuff around. And bearing fruit is evidence of a living vine. And pruning is necessary to allow future growth. You have to get rid of the dead stuff. Not only does it allow new growth, but it allows greater growth as well. It makes room for life. So Jesus says that what you need to do is abide in me. So what does it mean to abide in him? That's those things we talked about, exercising your spiritual muscles, spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, spending time in worship, being in his presence. That is what abiding in Him is. It's when we grow in holiness, when we win others, and a part of the harvest, when we worship, when we give, all of these things are abiding in Him. And the truth is, when you do these things, you'll begin to see fruit in your life. And this fruit that Jesus is speaking of is a life lived in obedience in Him, walking out the results of what happened internally in your spirit when you were saved. It actually means performing good works. 
not as a means of gaining approval. How many know you're not saved by your good works? You're saved by, by faith because of His grace. But the reality is, is that the result of a life change, the result of a life that is abiding in Him, the result of a life that's devoted to Jesus Christ is a life of good works. The Bible actually says that we were made for good works. But Christians that aren't bearing fruit actually have a problem. And I don't necessarily believe that this is a salvation issue. Some people read this and think that if you're not bearing fruit, then somehow you're, you're not saved anymore. And I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about. And the reason I don't is because it says right here, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So that these are people that are clean, people that are saved. But then he says, once you're there, you need to abide in him. So what is this talking about? I think it's talking about usefulness in the body of Christ. You may have met Christians like this. They're not necessarily doing anything wrong. They're not living in sin. They're kind of just not doing anything. And the thing is about a dead branch, the only thing a dead branch is useful for is for burning. It's not producing life anymore. It's not producing fruit. It's not growing. At least it can be used for something to heat the house. A Christian that is nothing more than a withered excuse for one is kind of in the same boat. They have no usefulness. Like I said, I, I don't think this is necessarily a salvation issue. I don't think that, that uh, uh, if you're not... Let me be careful with this. <laughs> because the reality is, is that if you are a Christian, you should be producing fruit. If you're not producing any fruit then you might want to have a little moment of, uh, of inward reflection and see where you actually stand with the Lord. But I don't think that someone that is producing tons of fruit and somebody producing little fruit is any less saved. But they are less useful. They're, they are, are accomplishing much less for the kingdom of heaven. And as disciples, we want to be producing fruit, abiding in him. And as a result of abiding in him, out of our lives, fruit is produced. And I believe that's in the result. The result of that is good works, pouring into others, doing good things, loving, being obedient to him. And the Bible says that if we're doing those things, if we're doing those things, the Father is glorified. You will bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So how do you prove to be his disciple? Bear much fruit. You bear much fruit and you prove to be his disciple. You don't bear any fruit. At best, you're a convert. But when you're producing fruit, then you are a disciple, and that's where we need to be. Then in John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Part of being a disciple is keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ. And we live in a world full of cultural Christians who say that they're his followers, but they don't ever do what he says. Another scripture you've probably heard, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? See, that's the thing is people want a Savior. They don't want a Lord. 
They want the they want the the goods, but they don't want to they don't want the rest of it that comes with it. So we have a bunch of people that say they're Christians, but they don't ever go to church, which is the bride of Christ. How many of you know that that if you and I are going to be friends and you hate my wife, it's probably going to hinder our relationship? Why do we think it would be any different with the body of Christ, which is his bride? We need to love the church. Or they don't actually spend any time renewing their mind. They don't spend time in the Word, so that muscle begins to atrophy. They don't spend time in prayer, that muscle begins to atrophy. And they don't spend time with other believers outside of Sunday morning. Christianity becomes a spiritual checklist instead of of a reality, a way of life. They're converts, not disciples. Converts at best. They look good on Sunday, but they do what they want the rest of the week. They gossip. They treat others poorly. They don't share their faith. And they become part of the problem, the reason that Christians are considered hypocrites. Because we say one thing, but do something else. But this isn't the way of a disciple. The way of a disciple keeps his commandments and truthfully to do otherwise to do anything other than keep his commandments and remember this is jesus saying this not me you are demonstrating a lack of love for him he says if you love me you'll keep my commandments what's the logical opposite of that if you don't keep my commandments you don't love me as disciples we would keep his commandments Does this mean you're always going to do it perfectly? No. Lord knows I don't always do it perfectly. Lord knows you don't always do it perfectly. But the reality is, is we keep giving back up and we keep pressing forward. And even if you're way down at the other end, you recognize that you are a, 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 one of the dried up branches. And I know that's nobody in this room. I'm talking to the people that are listening online. Nobody in this room. But if, if you're listening online, not in this room, but if you're listening online and you find that you're one of the withered branches, it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Make a decision. Start obeying his commands. Did you hear the, the, the gavel drop back there? Man. But we need to listen and, and obey his commands and, and make a decision. You know what? I'm going to stop just being a lukewarm Christian. I'm going to be a disciple. The other thing we need to make sure they're doing is loving one another. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will people know that you're his disciples? If you have love for one another, right? And this is actually uh, speaking specifically in the body of Christ. Not that as Christians we shouldn't have love for everybody, but he's specifically speaking about loving one another in the body of Christ. So a fruit of being a disciple is actually loving our brethren, and in all our lives, in all areas, we should be just exuding love out of every single pore, every fiber of our being. should be pouring out of us continually. But here's the thing. Love is an action word. You ever heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? That's because you can say a lot of stuff, but it's your actions that demonstrate the things that you say. Love is an action word. It's really easy to say that you love somebody. But the question you have to ask, does your life bear evidence of that fact? 
We can say we love one another, but are we spending time with one another? How many of you spend time with people you love? Are we calling each other up during the week to see how we're doing? Are we only seeing each other on Sunday morning? Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most of the time when pastors are preaching, it's because God's speaking to them, and we don't want to deal with it alone, so we're going to let you deal with it as well. I recognize, I told you at the beginning of this, I recognize that in some areas, I have, I've let discipleship fall by the wayside. I'm not doing the things that I, I'm not calling people as often as I should, spending time with people as often as I should. I recognize that. So when, as I'm preaching this stuff and I'm asking these questions, remember these are questions that were asked of me first. And I had to be honest with my answers as well. But the reality is, is that people who love one another spend time with one another. They encourage one another. They're there when someone needs them. And they're not afraid to call when they need help. See, the rest of you guys were all thinking you were in the clear until I said that one, right? Yeah, if you love people, that means you're going to call and ask for help sometimes too. How will people know that we are disciples by our love if there's not any evidence of our love? Think about that. This question, it says, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will they know? Think about that. How will they know? You're not going to call everybody in the world up and no, I love them. No, really, I do. How are they going to see that you love one another if there's not any evidence for it? This isn't about saying that you love people. This is about demonstrating and living your life as you love people. You want to know another thing? That means that if somebody reaches out to you, being available, that's showing love. And I know our lives are busy. There are so many times when, when people you know, may call up and say, hey, you want to do something? And I'm just like, no, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I didn't even want to come to see you this Sunday. What do you think I want to see you during the middle of the week? The reality is, is that we need to make ourselves available to other people too. That's how you show love. And this is important. Even if your lives are busy because this is how we disciple one another. This is how we learn and grow from one another. It's why spending time together. It's how we demonstrate that we're disciples that people will know because they see our love for one another. We should look different than the rest of the world. And even they get together. <laughs> Another thing as a disciple is that you're going to have sh- to, to endure a little suffering. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 6 says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes in accordance to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Another thing to remember as a disciple is you might suffer some hardship. And once again, by mind, I mean will suffer some hardship in your life. Persecution and tough times come because you're a Christian. One of the, the and, and if you've been here a while, you've heard me say this, but one of the greatest disservices that we can do when we're trying to share the gospel with somebody is to tell them that their life is going to be all lollipops and gumdrops if they'll just say yes to Jesus. 
because it won't. There are some things they're not going to have to deal with, but there are going to be a lot more things that they will have to deal with that they never would have if they wouldn't have said yes to Jesus. The devil doesn't care about you if you're not actively opposing him. But you'll be amazed at how much stuff will blow up in somebody's life the moment they make a decision to follow Jesus because he's doing everything he can to get them to stop. But a soldier, anybody here been a soldier? One of us. There's two of us here that have been soldiers. If you've been a soldier, there are some things that you don't have to worry about. When I showed up to basic training, they gave me all my uniforms. They gave me my boots. They even gave me my socks and underwear. I couldn't even wear my own socks and underwear. They gave it to me. They issued me everything. They fed me. They clothed. They did everything. I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff because they wanted me to focus on my mission. Not on those things. They wanted me to focus on what they wanted me to do. And the reality is, is that's what we need to be focused on as soldiers and the, and the army of Christ as well, is being focused on the mission, not so focused on all those other things in life. Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all those things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about them. God will take care of what you need. But his, he wants your focus to be on his mission, amen? And then he goes on to say here, that's what he says here. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's not worried about the other stuff. He's worried about his master. And for a Christian, remember we talked about he is our Lord and Savior. He is the one who enlisted us. And then it says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That means you've got to do things the right way. you actually got to put in the effort. Cheating isn't the answer. You guys know who Lance Armstrong is? Truthfully, even with all the controversy, I think he's one of the greatest cyclists that ever lived. But if you know his story, he kept winning uh, the Tour de France. Uh, I think he had won it more than anybody else had won it. And the fact that he was an American was mind-blowing because usually uh, cycling, um, let's just say you don't see it on TV all that often here. It's not one of our big sports. But he, he, was, he was an amazing cyclist. He ended up getting testicular cancer. He beat cancer, came back, and won the Tour de France multiple times after that. He was an amazing athlete. And then we found out later, when he finally admitted to it, that he, he had been doping. He had been taking drugs to, to enhance his performance. And every single one of his titles was ripped away from him. You see, he tried to take a shortcut So he could win but in the end he didn't actually win and the same is true for us as christians you can't take a shortcut you got to put in the work you actually have to work out you have to be disciplined you have to do these things because if you take a shortcut you can't win it's impossible to win but the good news is that if we stick with it it says right here it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops you know, the, the great part about being disciplined, spending time doing those things, not taking the easy way out, being the hardworking farmers, as the, uh, the parable is shown here, the example is shown here, is that a disciple is not misused and forgotten by God, but he's actually taken care of. Not only does he get 
all the normal stuff, right? The, the soldiers are getting entangled in civilian pursuits. God takes care of them for the stuff they need. But we also find out that he gets a share of the produce, the increase as well. God will take care of you as long as we're not doing things the easy way. This was Paul talking to Timothy, and when he's speaking to the first Corinthians, he says some similar things. He says in first Corinthians nine twenty four, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Thus, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here's the problem, is that all Christians are running a race, but some of them aren't running to win. Some are just there for the experience. Some are just there because their parents used to run the race. They're not really doing what they need to. But Paul's making this argument. He says, look, if you look at the, the, the games right now, you see these athletes working their butts off to be able to be the best, to make it, to, to, to go on and win the prize. And they're working for something that is just a trophy. It has no really earthly value. <laughs> and it certainly has no eternal value. It's just something that, that even if you, uh, you've probably seen it all. Have you ever seen the movies at the time that you'll see the, uh, they'll show these great athletes and you walk in their home and they'll have all the trophies on the wall, but they're just covered in dust and they're, they're just a monument to some time in the past. They're not worth anything. But the reality is, is they work their butts off for that. They give everything. And they're going for something that's perishable. We're going for something that's imperishable. Eternal life, it's good for eternity. Why don't Christians work as hard as those athletes that are going for something that's not worth anything in the long run? That's what Paul is trying to say. Our prize is much greater, so let's give it our all. That's what being a disciple is. It's that word again, discipline. Disciples discipline themselves we discipline our body. We keep it under control. Let's give it all that we have. Let's box with a purpose. Not as one boxing as beating the air, but boxing as one with a purpose. The purpose of making contact. The purpose of defeating our enemies. Amen? And we must remember when we are preaching, when we are living this out, that we actually are living it out. It doesn't give us an excuse to do what we want. You know, we're not, we're not building up credit. Because even Paul says, look, i got to make sure that I discipline my body and practice what I preach, lest I disqualify myself. And then we'll go ahead and finish here today in 1 Corinthians 4, 14-16. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. As we are walking out our lives, living as disciples, the truth is, is that we're going to need to spend time training. We're going to need to spend time growing. That's what the Bible says we have to do. We have to be disciplined. 
but we need to make sure that we're doing it in the right place as well. You know, the truth is, you can go on the internet right now and learn anything that you want about the Bible. You can go on YouTube right now, and there is no end of teachers with no end of slant of what you want to learn. It becomes very progressive, like, you know, the progressive insurance where you can pick what you want? Now you can do that on the internet too. But even if you do find good teaching and good doctrine, at best, these people can only be tutors in your life. Sure, you can learn something from them. But when you're going through a tough time in your life, it's not like you can call them up. They're not going to walk alongside you. These people don't know you. You don't have a relationship with them. Discipleship is about relationships and getting with one another. Now, I love getting on YouTube and learning that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that, that I learn and, and, and digest and get new ideas and all those things, but none of those people are, as Paul said, <clears throat> fathers. He says, look, you can learn through these countless guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. You can get teaching and, and, and input from countless tutors, but you don't have many fathers. That relationship, that familiar relationship is built by spending time with one another. And I'm not just saying that, that that's, that's me. There are other people in this church that can act as, as a spiritual father, that you can act as a spiritual father too, or mother, if you so are inclined to hear that word instead. The idea is, is being uh, someone in a position to pour into and to build into somebody else's life. And for that to happen, we need people that are willing to receive that. And how many of you know that in some areas you'll get it one direction and then the same two people in different areas of their life can get it the other direction? We can grow. We can have relationship. We can be uh, in discipleship with one another. Because the thing is, is that someone that you're sitting down with, that you're walking with, they're investing in you, you're investing in them. That's a real relationship. They're there when you have great success cheering you on and encouraging you, and they're there when you're going through the hardest times of your life, lifting you up, holding you up, and still encouraging you. And that's what discipleship looks like. That's what I want to focus on again this year. And church, i got to be honest with you, it can't just be me. I'm going to, but that means each and every one in this room and, and even the people that aren't here today, they need to understand this too. We have to make the effort to spend time with one another. Not just inform like Bible studies are good. So it's just having dinner, grabbing a cup of coffee. And the reality is, is that we all need Pauls in our lives. Those are our spiritual fathers, people that we're learning from. And we all need Barnabases in our life. Paul and Barnabas, they walked and taught together. They, 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 were, they were equals, they were friends, but they still encouraged one another. And we all need Timothys in our life as well. Timothy was Paul's student. He was his son in the faith. We all need those kind of people in our lives. This year, I want to make that a focus. And church, I would encourage you to do that with me. Let's make this year a year that we're not boxing the air. But instead, we're running with the purpose, with the goal of obtaining the prize, with the goal of becoming more mature, growing in our faith and helping one another grow, and being a family. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.